Well, we've been studying a few episodes in the last week of Jesus' life. We should say at least the week that leads up to the cross for Jesus. It's really uh, stunning uh, and interesting how much of the gospel accounts uh, are involved in the last week of Jesus. Think about it. Uh, Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and the record in Matthew starts in Matthew 21. And so from Matthew 21, Matthew has 28 chapters. From Matthew 21 all the way through Matthew 28, that's concerning Jesus' last week before the cross, and then his days on the earth, um, his resurrection and afterwards. And then think about Luke. Luke has 24 chapters, and the last week in Luke starts in Luke 19 and goes forward. John, John, um, 21 chapters. And the last week of Jesus' life in John starts in John 12. John especially uh, commits a good part of his gospel to this last week. And so it is uh, an emphasis that the Lord wants us to see And one thing the Lord does as he is so busy and and as he's contemplating his last few hours on earth, he tells several parables. And here is one on Tuesday, on Tuesday before the Friday of the cross, he gives us this parable of the wicked tenant. Okay, And so we will just have these 12 representations. That's what parables do for us. Parables are stories related to life on earth that have spiritual and heavenly meanings. And so they represent things that are spiritual. Okay. And so we'll have about 12 of these representations here that we'll go through. And I encourage you to write down what you can as uh, we learn together. Let's just give a brief uh, summary of this parable. This is about a, a master of the house who builds a vineyard. He, he does a very good job of it, even puts a protective tower, a wine press and a tower in it. And then he goes to another country and he leaves it in the care of some tenants. And then when the fruit season comes to gather his fruit, He sends servants back to gather his fruit. And those wicked tenants of the land, uh, they would beat, stone, persecute, kill those servants. And then finally, the master of the house says, well, I'm going to send my son, my beloved son. And surely they will reverence him. But when the son comes, the wicked tenants say, This is the heir. This is the very son. Let's kill him, throw him away, and take over this vineyard for ourselves. And so Jesus tells this story and helps us to apply it uh, to life and to learning. And so we'll go through this. Okay? So follow along in your Bible from Matthew 21, 33. And we'll just be glancing at Scripture and making references Um, as we make our way down about verse 46. At at any time, if you have something to insert as we go through these different sections of the parable, then please feel free uh, to do that. 
Number one, the master of the house, Matthew uh, 21, 33. Of course, that represents God himself. That represents the Lord God himself. Okay. And the Lord is always pictured in scripture as building, building houses, building uh, boats, and, and planting vineyards and building them as well. Number two, the vineyard and the tenants with the vineyard represent the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation. The tenants taking care of the vineyard especially represent the Jewish nation. The vineyard represents, the vineyard itself represents how that the Jewish nation was so advantaged that they were so blessed more than any other nation on earth. They were very blessed. Uh, for a number of reasons. The, the scriptures, the relations with God, the fact that Jesus would come through, uh, their lineage, their nation, uh, just a number of reasons why they were very, very blessed um, as a vineyard. Okay. And then, number three, the, the master of the house goes into another country and stays for a while. And you have to combine the different accounts of Mark and Luke to get some of this out. But he goes to another country and stays for a while. This represents the length of time between Moses and when Jesus comes. Okay? Between about Moses. You know, God communicated with Moses. Deuteronomy 34.10 says he communicated with Moses face to face. After that, God's communications were a little bit different. Um, and so from, um, so from Moses to Christ, mainly through leaders like Joshua and the prophets, did God communicate uh, to his people. Of course, this kept up, this time uh, lasted until God decided it was time for his son to come. We read in Galatians 4 and verse 4, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem us. He might redeem us and give, the, give us the adoption of sons. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. Okay. So one, uh, God. Number two, the Jewish nation and the blessings therein. The other country is the time that, that um, between the time about Moses, the time Jesus comes to the earth. Number four, the season of the fruits. In the story, the season of the fruit time comes. And so this is when the master of the house is going to send his servants to go get uh, his fruit. The season of the fruits, though, represents something for us. This represents what God had expected of the Jewish nation. Okay, When you think about fruit, God expects fruit. God expected fruit from the Jewish nation. And without just listing, a, taking time to make a long list here, let's think about a couple of things. Turn your Bibles to Romans, if you don't mind, just for a minute. Romans chapter 3. And just to notice how that the Jews had an opportunity to really learn some things, and many of them did not learn it. Romans 3, verse 20. 
says, uh, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So one thing that the Jews were to learn through the law that God gave them was knowledge of sin, how tragic sin is, and how uh, devastating sin is to human life and to our relationship with God. Okay. Now, turn your Bibles from there to Galatians chapter 3. Just quickly look over with me to Galatians three ten and 11. Where Paul says, Galatians 3, 10 and 11. Again, Paul speaking of the old law of Moses, which of course was nailed to the cross when Jesus died thereon. But looking at Galatians 3, 10 and 11. For all who rely on the works of the law, that is the law of Moses, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. No human being can keep all the commandments of any law, uh, in particular here, the law of Moses. And so the Jews were to learn, first of all, how terrible sin is. And secondly, that they could not justify themselves by the law of Moses. And so this is the kind of fruit that God would expect from the Jewish nation all these years. Okay. Look at one other passage and we'll move on. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Noticing with me uh, verses 10 and 11. Concerning salvation, Peter's writing here. 1 Peter 1.10. Peter says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent uh, glories. In other words, the prophets were prophesying about Christ, his sufferings, and things pertaining to Jesus' coming, and they were very interested in how all this was going to play out. They didn't get to experience it personally, but they were very interested in it. And so, here's what God expected. Here are three things that God expected uh, as fruit from the Jewish nation these years between Moses and Christ. He expected them to become knowledgeable of sin. That's what the law was for. To understand the exceeding sinfulness of sin, I think Romans 7 said. How bad sin is. Secondly, to understand they could not be justified from their sins by the law. By the law. That there was, there was a long-standing plan. The law was actually uh, an extension or a part of a long-standing plan to bring Jesus into the world. And then a third thing that they should have gotten from the law was it should have created within them a longing for Christ. Just like 1 Peter 1.10 here was saying. The, the prophets searched and they inquired. And they longed to see that day when Jesus, the Christ, would eventually come. And so that's what the, a lot of what the law was about, to create that desire, that longing. You know, in, in John uh, 1, Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, We have found him, the one written about in the law of Moses and in the Psalms 
and in the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, come, we have found him. And of course, you know, Nathaniel said, can anything come out of Nazareth? But he finally goes with Philip. See, Philip had that desire. He had that longing. And he knew Nathaniel did as well. And so the, the seasons of the fruit here was the fruit that God had expected from uh, the Jewish nation. Number five here, the servants, of course, are those prophets that God sent to prepare the way for Jesus. Between the time of Moses and the time of Christ, there were several prophets. And not only were these prophets to prepare the way for Jesus, but also they would be shamelessly persecuted. And they were. When you think about 1 Kings 19 and Elijah, Ahab and Jezebel had put out a uh, price on the head of, um, of Elijah, okay, trying to get him, trying to kill him. We think about Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah is placed into a miry pit uh, and left there to die. If it had not been for a man by the name of Ebedmelech, uh, he would have died. Uh, Ezekiel 2 and verse 6 God tells Ezekiel, he says, Son of man, you're going to be living among briars and thorns, and you're going to be sitting and living on top of scorpions. Okay. That was just his way of letting Ezekiel know this work you're about to get started doing for me is not going to be easy. And of course we remember what, how they treated John the Baptist. Put him in prison. Eventually he was beheaded, Matthew 11, Matthew 14. And so these servants that are sent to gather the fruit represent all the prophets that God uh, sent uh, to warn the people and to prepare the way for Christ. Okay. And notice with me, as we move to the next one here, Matthew 21. Notice um, Matthew twenty-one thirty-four. When the season for fruit drew near, Matthew twenty-one thirty-four, right in the middle of this parable, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. So that represents the prophets who have been sent to do the work of preparing for Christ. But notice that he just kept sending uh, prophets okay, for a long time. So notice number six here in our sheet. Matthew 21, 36 talks about the sustained efforts of God. Okay. In other words, he just kept sending prophets. He sent some, they beat them, stoned them, murdered them. Okay. But then he just kept sending them. See, these sustained efforts represents God's love and patience represents his, his love and patience toward the Jewish people. God didn't just start loving everybody when Jesus came to this earth. God is love. And he loved everybody that he created, ever has created. He loved the Jewish nation. As stubborn as they were, as idolatrous as they became, still, his sending of these prophets, like all the prophets, whether it be Isaiah, Joel, uh, whoever it is he, he sent, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, okay, Elijah, all of these were sent by the love of God. 
uh, wanting his people uh, to be better and do better. So that's number six. Number seven. Number seven. Getting down to Matthew 21, 37. Number seven. Finally, the master of the house sends his son. His son. Now, we'll need to compare Mark 12 and verse 6 there, where it says, there was yet one other, his beloved son. There was another one, his beloved son. I find this pretty interesting. So let's, let's, I know you'll want to think about this just a little bit. Of course, this represents Jesus, but let's think about it a little bit deeper. This son sent was last in a series, last in a series of people. Prophets have been sent. Other servants have been sent. This is Jehovah's servant. In fact, when you read Isaiah chapters 52 and 53, it talks a lot about Jehovah's servant. This is Jehovah's servant. This is the son of of being sent. This is the last in the series. I got to thinking, you remember when um, Samuel was sent to Jesse's house, first, first Samuel 16, and looking to anoint someone of Jesse's house as king. Okay. All of David's brothers out there. And pretty much they stopped. And Samuel said, well, you have another son? And he said, yeah, we got another son, but he's out keeping the sheep. As if he should not even be, um, he should not even be uh, involved in this. He, he, he wouldn't even be on near to be on the list as a king. Samuel said, well, bring him. And he was the one, David, uh, keeping the sheep who was anointed as king. But David was last in a series of brothers, Jesus is last in a series of, of brothers, of servants, of prophets. And then Jesus is the last offer to man. Okay. He's the last offer to man. This is very important to, to establish out of this parable. He's the last offer. Let's look at some comparing uh, verses. Look over with me to Hebrews 9. You'll want to have this reference somewhere close by because this definitely fits in. Hebrews 9, verse 26. Hebrews 9, 26. Let me start reading in Hebrews 9, 24, just leading up to this. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place Places every year with blood, not his own. Referring back to how it was under the old law. Now, Hebrews 9, 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly uh, since the foundation of the world. But as it is, 
He has appeared, notice this, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Hebrews 9.26 Jesus appeared once for all time. This is it. This is God's last offer to mankind. You can see how this plays out. As Jesus comes, it's not only His last offer to mankind, this is also... This is also sealing up the truth. Uh, Jesus would send the Holy Spirit to the apostles and they would be guided to all the truth. No more truth coming after Jesus and the apostles, after this period of time. This is God's last offer to mankind, period. period. And we, we call people back to this time period, this package that God delivered uh, through His Son. Uh, salvation is found here in Christ and in, in the New Testament. So this is God's last offer to mankind. And then also, of course, this represents uh, the Son. God would often refer to Jesus as His Son. When Jesus was baptized by John, God spoke from heaven and said what? Yeah, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Again, at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, verse 5. This is my son. Okay. This landowner here, this master of the house, he said, I'm sending, I'm going to send my own son now. Send my own son. My beloved son. This was intended to touch their hearts. Okay. Not only in the story, but also in reality with the Jewish nation. Okay. God's intent was that they would see that this is the very son of God and that this would touch their hearts, that he would be willing to send his own son. Okay. It did not make an impact on some, but it did on others. So notice these, these few things about him. Uh, finally, he sends his son. First, okay. First notice that this is, um, this is final in a series of people. And then notice this is God's final offer to man. Notice that this is his beloved son, Mark 12, verse 6. His beloved son. If God is willing to give up his beloved son, surely this would touch people's hearts. And then notice that Jesus is in a class different than these other prophets. As, as good and wholesome and faithful as all these prophets were, Jeremiah, Elijah, and so many others, and John the Baptist, they were not in the same class as Jesus. Let's remember this. Look at Matthew 16 right quick. Just to impress this on our mind. Matthew 16. Familiar to you, I know. But uh, verse 13 in this conversation Jesus has with his uh, disciples. Now when Jesus came in, Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So we see there Jesus is in a class all by himself. And so this son that was sent in the story, uh, there was nobody like him. This is, this is the heir. This is the son. 
So you can see how that plays out toward God and his son and sending him to the earth. So all the way through seven here. Now number eight, they say in the story, this is the heir, let us take and kill him and and throw him out and we can take over the vineyard ourselves. This is the heir. This is the heir. This kind of indicates that the Jewish people were not totally ignorant of who Jesus was. Okay. They, you know, Jesus does pray from the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. There's some ignorance here, but why were they ignorant? Why couldn't they, could they not see? Well, they were blinded oftentimes. They were blinded by their own prejudice and their own hatred. As, you know, as Pilate could see from Matthew 27, 18, it was envy. He could see it was envy and jealousy that was having them send Jesus to him. So they, they had a small indication of who Jesus was, just as the, the men in this story say, this is the heir. So they said this, we, they knew who the son was. But um, they were too blinded to really uh, respect him as the son. This is the heir. Of course, Jesus is the, the heir of God. Let's turn over to Hebrews 1 and let Hebrews 1 help us explain how Jesus is the heir, H-E-I-R, the son, the heir. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1, long ago, Hebrews 1, verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, notice this, he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much more superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent, uh, more excellent than theirs. Jesus is the heir of all things. They said, this is the heir, let's get him and kill him. Again, Jesus, with this parable, is projecting to people that he is going to die. He expects to die. He knows this is his week to die. They killed the son in this story. Jesus is telling this story just a couple of days ahead of his own crucifixion. And so isn't it amazing how Jesus had the wherewithal, the stamina, the presence of mind, okay, knowing that he's in the very shadow of the cross and yet he's able to speak these things. And the reason he does is because he's trying to help people understand what's going on. All right, so he's the, this is the heir. And so in the story, uh, he asked uh, those listening Okay, what's this master of the house going to do once he finds out what they've done to his own son? Okay, so this is answered in the story, Matthew um, 21, 40 and 41. Of course, he's going to, in a very miserable way, he's going to destroy these miserable people and take, a, take it away from them and give it to somebody else. Give the vineyard to somebody else uh, to work. Okay. So you see that as part of the application of this story, number nine, uh, what will he do? And then on to number 10, uh, Jesus then is going to uh, 
help us see this parable better. He says, have you never read? Have you never read? And in your Bible, Jesus is going to refer to, a, to an Old Testament passage. Uh, which passage is, is this? Do you see it already? Yeah. Uh, Psalm 118, about verse 22, 21, 22, 23. Uh, the stone which the builders rejected or the stone that was set at naught naught of you, the builders, has become the head of the corner, has become the cornerstone. This is marvelous in our eyes. It is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So notice what Jesus is doing by quoting Psalm 118. Let's notice this. First of all, he's saying that the conduct of the Jewish nation in rebelling against God all these years and in uh, so severely treating the prophets, uh, that was all prophesied. They, they are fulfilling the prophecy. The conduct of the Jewish people in Jesus' day and prior to that is part of this prophecy. Okay. The stone which was set at, at naught of you the builders, you the builders, you Jewish people, you're supposed to be building God's kingdom. Instead, the stone you set at naught, you rejected that stone. That very stone has become the head of the corner. So this is not only a prophecy of the conduct, but it's also a prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus upon high. Because Jesus knew that his death was coming, but, and he knew he was being rejected by the Jewish people, but he also firmly understood and totally believed that he would be resurrected and he would be sitting on the right hand of God as the head, the cornerstone, the head of the corner, the head of the church. So let's notice that. Um, it's always good to let the Bible explain the Bible. So look, look over quickly to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. The Bible does so much better explaining things than what we do. Ephesians 1, notice this in um, verse 19, Ephesians 1, 19, talking about the power of God through Jesus, Ephesians 1, 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when, okay, when, talking about his great power and great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, Ephesians 1, 20, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. This is what Jesus is talking about. When he says, when he quotes this passage from Psalm 118. So you've got the prophesying prophesying of the conduct of the Jews and then of what's about to happen to Jesus. He's going to be set at night, he's going to be crucified, but he's also going to be buried, raised from the dead, after 40 days, ascended up on high, set at the right hand of the majesty on high. But this is also an indication that that God's plan is is in work here. His plan has not been forgotten. This is the plan of God. 
This, is, this has been God's long-standing plan for a very long time. Christ has not forgotten that. He knows what his role is here. Okay. And other, the other disciples will learn this eventually. In fact, notice over here with me in Acts chapter 4, as Peter now, this is when Jesus is back on the right hand of God, and now Peter is doing his work as an apostle and teacher. And of course they bring him, he and John, they bring John and Peter into custody because they had healed a lame man. We read about that in Acts 3. And so they want to know by what authority have you done these things? Well, picking up here in Acts um, 4 and verse 10, uh, Peter says, Let it be known to all of you, Acts 4 verse 10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well and whole. Now he continues, this Jesus is the stone. Verse 11, Acts 4, 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See how Peter learned? See how Peter learned this? What, the very thing Jesus is talking about, Peter brings that up. So Peter is referring to Psalm 118 as well. Peter's not through though. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I love to go through this chapter point by point, word by word. First Peter 2, Peter verse 6 refers to Jesus. He says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. Then verse 7, 1 Peter 2, verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, for those who... But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the head of the corner. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those who do not believe. And so notice here, verse number 10, number 10, verse 42 of Matthew 21, Jesus said, have you never read Psalm 118? And while we're right there, this is a favorite question of Jesus. Are you already back to Matthew 21? I know you are. Run back there and look at this question. Verse 42, have you never read in the scriptures? Okay. Let your eyes then go over to Matthew, um, same chapter, Matthew 21. Verse 16, as the little children are saying in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Verse 16, they said to him, do you not hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, notice this, Matthew 21, 16, have you never read? And then he refers to Psalm 8, verse 2, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have perfected praise or prepared praise. 
One of Jesus' favorite questions is, have you never read? Look over to Matthew 22. Verse 31, as the Sadducees have questions about the resurrection of the, of the dead. Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, As for the resurrection of the dead, this is Jesus speaking. Have you not read what was said to you by God? And then he quotes from Exodus 3. I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. So even though Moses is credited for writing Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, notice Jesus said it's actually written by God. Inspiration of the scriptures. God used man to do his writing, but it's still from God. Have you never read? Remember in Matthew 19, when they had questions about marriage and divorce, Matthew 19, verse 3 and 4, Jesus said, have you not read? that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female. And so, just follow that phrase out, how often Jesus refers to, have you not read? This is the thing that Jesus is bringing out here with this parable. You Jews, you had opportunity after opportunity. You had the scriptures. You had all the knowledge you needed. You had the pathways there. You have the, you have the light where you should have been able to see clearly who I am and be able to identify me when I came to this earth and, and yet you just would not read about it. It's a good question for us as well today. Have you not read? If we could just get people to read the Bible and leave everything else out of their mind, it would um, improve situations. Number 11, Jesus in the uh, application of this parable, he says, therefore I say unto you that the kingdom of God, talking to the G- Jewish people, going to be taken away from you and given to a people who will bring forth fruit unto God. Of course, this other people, this nation, is the church. This church. So, um, number 10, have you never read, of course, referring to Psalm 118 and all in Acts 4, 1 Peter 2, all right. Number 11, therefore I say to you, and then Jesus says, the kingdom is being taken away from you Jewish people taken to another nation that's going to bring forth fruit. That's basically the church. You can read in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, the church is a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. The people that's to bring forth um, and, and present his light uh, to the world. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're to present all the excellent things about God. We are that nation. That is to be bringing forth fruit unto God. Number 12, um, Jesus goes on to say, Anyone who falls on this stone shall be broken into pieces. In other words, we don't oppose God. And the consequences of opposing God is not good. The Jews personally are going to find this out rather Fast. Remember last week we studied Matthew 24 and the destruction of Jerusalem. Many of the Jews will suffer terribly in about AD 70. Um, and this is God bringing this about because of their behavior uh, during the lifetime of Jesus. But anybody who opposes God, uh, the consequences are just uh, terrible. One big lesson here 
is um, if we don't take advantage of spiritual advantages, then um, it's not going to go good for us either. The Jews had all kinds of spiritual advantages, and they didn't take advantage of the advantages. And so I would say that we are rather blessed in our part of the world, wouldn't you? statement often made but found Luke 12 uh, 48 everyone to whom much was given of, of, of him much will be required to whom much is given much is required this is one of the things that Jesus is trying to drive home with this parable he sent and he sent and he sent the prophets to the Jewish nation and, they, and instead of listening they treated them miserably and today, look at the blessings that we have. And as God expected fruit from them, so of course He expects fruit uh, from us. Appreciate you walking through uh, some of these aspects. We didn't get to near all of it, but at least these 12 representations here, I think, I think these are clearly seen. Appreciate you being in class uh, today.